body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. I have for you another well-known fairy tale, but one that I'm happy to have tailored just for you here. Now, the story may not be the same one you know, but I promise it will be one you like. Made possible by Envy Pillow, my sleeping beauty for over 20 years. The Canadian-designed copper-infused Envy Pillow aligns your spine and neck and prevents those lines that sleeping on our face brings. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. As good for you as it is Mother Earth. Before we get to our version of Hans Christian Andersen's Princess and the Pea, or Princess on the Pea, as it is sometimes known, get comfortable. I hope that where you are is soft and cozy, whether it's an airline seat, a nice recliner at home, or, of course, in your warm bed. Let's take a few deep breaths to get you into the right head and bed space. First, inhale and exhale. Now, letting your shoulders and your jaw and mouth and neck release their hold, just take one more big inhale. And as you exhale, think these words, I am safe, I am loved, I am at peace. And with that, close your eyes, because I know you're not driving right now, and let's drift. Once upon a time, there was a prince. His name was Robert. He was a handsome young man with dark curly hair, long symmetrical dimples on both sides of his face, and he was well over six feet tall. So, in other words, he was a catch. And he knew it. Is that vanity, though, when you really are such a beautiful being? Perhaps. Perhaps not. But Prince Robert also had a remarkable, soft, and compassionate side. He had empathy and kindness, and the things that make a person lovable, for his beauty was great but his heart was greater. And Prince Robert, although he was most fortunate in his ranking in life, was grateful, for he knew what he had that others did not. In addition to the lessons he had to take, math and science, history and athletics, the prince was also made aware of the conditions of his subjects. 
so he knew that there were people in his father's kingdom who had to do without. Many farmers suffered when the rains ruined their crops or a disease took away their livestock, and sometimes family members. He was a smart young man, Prince Robert, for he held gratitude in his heart. As he got older, it came to be known that there were expectations of him. Not that it was a surprise, for it was common knowledge that one day this prince should prepare to inherit the throne of his father, King Michael. The king was healthy and quite able to rule over his kingdom, but one always has to have an heir ready to take over. Should he die in battle or take a tumble into the moat? These things do happen, you know to kings as well as to commoners. On the day of his twenty-first birthday, Prince Robert was taken aside during the massive celebrations. The queen leaned over at the head table and said that she needed to speak with him. What is it, mother? Did the birthday cake fall before cook could ice it? No, dear, nothing like that, she said. It's about you, my son. We need to discuss your future plans. The two left the table to talk in quieter confines. Now, this was the first time that either of his parents had really brought up the topic with Prince Robert. For up until now, his days were filled with doing whatever he pleased, dressing in disguise to mingle among the people of the kingdom wandering through the market stalls, or riding through the fields and paths that rolled for miles like a great green and gold quilt surrounding the castle. To say he had not a care in the world might be an understatement, for in the life of Prince Robert all was well indeed. But you see, there was this one thing and his mother was about to tell him exactly what was required of him. It was a wife. Up until now, the prince had had his share of female friends, most of them daughters of this minister, or that count, or knight. But he had never thought of any of his friends in terms of matrimony. He was having far too much fun in his life to consider promising himself to one person for as long as they both shall live. This, however, was about to change. It is time, said Queen Maria, that you should settle down. Find yourself a wife and begin a family. The castle is so quiet now that you are grown. And your father and I want to make sure that one day, when you inherit the kingdom, there is joy in your life, in addition to the many responsibilities you will have to carry. The prince pursed his lips and looked off into the distance, one in which he could see a half-dozen children with dark curly hair and dimples, playing on the massive oak banisters on which he once slid and hiding in the library from their tutors, as he often did. But where shall I look, mother? Do you want me to don my pauper's costume 
and choose my bride from among the townspeople? Oh, heavens no, said the queen with alarm. That would never do, for the people want us to marry above them, not from among them. Otherwise they will not respect or obey us, as our subjects must do. You will remember when Prince Lance of Lancashire fell in love with a milkmaid? Oh, yes, mother, quite a scandal. The people were outraged, demanding to know why Lance needed to marry the milkmaid, when already he was getting the milk for free. Of course he was, replied the queen. His father owned the cows, but that's beside the point. What you need to remember, my son, is that love can strike at any time. But it is the duties of the crown which must be followed, not the whimsy of the heart. Do you understand? Yes, mother, he answered, in a tone that was far too solemn for such a festive event. May I get back to my party? We'll soon be pouring the honey wine, and I need my mead. With that, he dashed away, leaving his mother to smile and shake her head as her young son returned to the head table. At breakfast the next morning, as servants cleared the table with far more clattering than poor Prince Robert's throbbing head would have preferred, his father cleared his throat and began to speak. So, my son... You had a good time at your party last night? He asked with a knowing smile. I did, father. Thank you for the wonderful evening, and I suppose I should apologize for riding Phantom into the ballroom. The tile floors are a challenge, my son, even for a horse such as Phantom, and I am sure you will not do it again. The prince nodded. Phantom was a white Lipizzaner stallion, brought directly to Prince Robert from Vienna when he turned eighteen. The two were inseparable, although no one could blame the noble horse if he held a grudge after last night's tomfoolery. Be that as it may, said King Michael, today you begin a new chapter in your life. I believe your mother has had a talk with you. Yes, father, she has. You both want me to find a bride, is that right? Yes. And not just any woman, my son, but a princess. Got it, said the prince, as he emptied yet another mug of water. But not just any princess either, Robert, for you will need to find a wife with a compassionate heart, one who will care for our subjects far and near, as we do. Someone who understands suffering. Someone who is empathetic and kind. She'll need to be strong as well. Oof, that father is a tall order, said the prince, looking up at the king. So just where am I to find such a woman, do you think? That, my son, is up to you. Venture outside the realm of our kingdom, if you will, but you will leave tomorrow and return only with the woman who will one day be queen. Is that understood? Yes, father, the prince said. It was going to be a challenge, 
He knew he was up to it. But, said King Michael, here's the thing. We need you to do this with subtlety, for anyone can appear to be the person you are seeking if there is such a prize as a kingdom to be won. You risk subterfuge and trickery if you let on the purpose of your mission from those who would pull the wool over your eyes, misleading you to believe that they are someone other than who they really are. Well, then what am I to say to these women that I meet? asked the prince, his brows furrowed. We have discussed this, your mother and I. You will tell your prospective bride that you are in search of someone who can help your mother to handle her affairs and, eventually, to take care of us. You will tell her she needs to be kind, patient, honest, and hard-working. And most of all, compassionate. As the next day dawned, Prince Robert and Phantom were ready to embark on this most important and rather complicated search. The horse had forgiven the prince by now, although it took two apples before Phantom would allow the prince to ruffle his forelock. Soon they were as tight as before and ready to head off. After a long day's ride, they spent their first night away as guests in a neighboring kingdom. The monarchs there knew King Michael and Queen Maria and were quite pleased to introduce Robert to their three daughters in hopes that one would marry into another royal family and cement their wealth and standing for good. After all, that is what they assumed he was here for. First, there was Greta, who was tall and striking in her appearance, but not at all interested in Robert, no matter what his purpose. She had her sights set on a young prince from a kingdom over the mountains. They had met on a hike and promised themselves to each other, and although that had been many years ago, Greta had given to him her heart. And, to her parents' eternal dismay, that was that. She would await his visit. The second princess, who had made herself scarce during the welcome dinner, was finally found in the stables. Heidi, you see, was far more interested in the fine horse phantom than she was in even talking with its owner. She would not make eye contact with this young man and would only discuss horses and tack and such. When it came to conversation, bridles, yes, but a bridal procession did not seem anywhere near possible. With some frustration with their daughters, the king and queen of the faraway kingdom led the prince back to the dining room and introduced their third and youngest daughter, Charisse, who had been up in her chambers playing the harpsichord, as she did every evening. She would play for the small, seemingly abandoned deer she had found near the castle, and for a hedgehog who was blind but loved to doze to the sounds of her music. Cherise sang along with her keyboard and amused herself and them for hours on end. For as much as Greta loved her hiker, and Heidi loved horses. Charisse adored all animals. 
especially those needing care. She was lovely in a most understated sort of way. Her strawberry blonde hair was pulled up with rogue curls surrounding her face, and she seemed to care not at all about her appearance. Her eyes shone the most brilliant green, her cheeks were adorned with freckles, and her lips, a color of raspberries, had not yet displayed the signs of a smile. How do you do, Princess Charisse? said Prince Robert with a bow. She shrugged and answered, Fine, I guess. What brings you to our kingdom, Prince? I've been sent on a mission to find someone, um, special. My parents are searching for a young woman who can come and help care for them. My mother needs aid in her charity work, in handling the duties of running a household, all of those things. Whoever is chosen must be trustworthy and kind. Princess Charisse was all of these things, and she thought it over. This might be a challenge worthy of her spirit, for the last thing she wanted to do was to grow old in this castle, as her brother inherited the crown. She decided to consider this offer, and later that night, once the prince had gone to his chambers, asked her parents if she might go. Well, of course, dear girl, said her mother, and we will always welcome you home if this endeavor is not for you. Is it truly what you want, Charisse? The girl thought about it and nodded her head firmly in affirmation. Mother, it will be good to be useful, but promise me you'll take care of my animals. No worries, dear, said her father. We shall put them in Heidi's trust. The next morning, Princess Cherise sat at breakfast with the prince. As they talked about all things, she found herself laughing at his jokes, and he at hers for now she was comfortable enough in the presence of this well-spoken and gentle man to be herself. She had decided that if he did not like her for who she was, she would not pretend to be the perfect choice for his search. Let someone else take the job, she thought. As the day passed, the two became more closely acquainted. They learned about each other and found they had much in common a love of reading, a deep caring for the people over whom their families ruled, and so much more. That evening at dinner, the prince asked Charisse's parents if he might take her to the castle to begin her employment. Of course, what he had in mind was much greater than simply a person who would help his parents, as he had claimed. But first things first, he thought. With her parents' blessing and some tears from Charisse, her siblings, and the king and queen, the two headed off the next day to the castle of King Michael and Queen Maria. Upon their arrival, they left their steeds in the stable and, after washing up, proceeded to the drawing room of the castle, where the monarchs were waiting. They happily met the young woman, but were not without reservations. Charisse, they had been told, was indeed the daughter of royalty in a faraway kingdom, but still they had their concerns. 
their son had visited but one castle, and who was to say that this rather disheveled girl was the proper mate, the right woman to one day rule with their son? That evening, as King Michael, Prince Robert, and Princess Charisse played charades by the fire, Queen Maria stole away to the guest chamber. There, she drew the curtains closed so that no one passing in the garden just outside the massive window might see as she pulled back the sheets from the bed that had been prepared for their young guest. She reached into the pocket of her thick velvet gown and withdrew a small green pea. She reached as far under the mattress as she could and placed it carefully. Why? Well, according to folklore that had proven true for many centuries, a hard little pea would determine whether the girl was the right material to be a royal ruler. For if she could not sleep for the discomfort caused by that one pea under her mattress, then she would be deemed worthy indeed. And to make sure the pea was not readily noticeable, she covered the mattress with not one or two, but five eider-down quilts. The queen struggled, but was able to put the sheets and blankets over top, and she crept out of the room. Her plan in motion, the queen returned to the group, who were playing and laughing in the drawing room. And that night, as the candles were blown out and everyone had said their good nights, she could barely sleep with anticipation. For you see, she and King Michael found this girl quite likable. They observed the easy familiarity she shared with their son, and the way the girl did not put on airs or talk of frivolous things. She was wise in the ways of politics and people, and cared about the goings-on in the kingdom asking intelligent questions, and then listening intently to the answers. It would appear Charisse was going to make a suitable mate after all, or so they hoped. And through the long night, the queen waited. In the morning, they gathered at the huge oak table, upon which was set a breakfast of breads, cheeses, and fruits. Charisse sat with her head in one hand, her green eyes rimmed in red and barely open. Why, what was it, my dear? asked the queen, barely containing her pleasure, for if the princess had not slept for the discomfort of the pea, surely she was indeed the one for her son after all. At the risk of sounding rude, I'm afraid I did not sleep as well as I should have. Oh, dear, was there something about your bed? Did you feel a lump under your mattress? Oh, mother, interjected Prince Robert. Tell me you did not. Robert, whispered his mother in response. Did not what? asked the princess sleepily. She placed something under your mattress, Charisse a lentil or pea or something ridiculous, to determine whether you are a princess worthy of this household. 
The princess stared in silence at the queen, disbelieving what she had heard, for she was not familiar with this test. Oh, forgive me, my dear, but I needed to know that you, you belong here, and only by placing the pea under the mattress could this be determined, according to our ancestors. Charisse pushed back her chair and left the dining room, returning to her chambers, and in quite an uncharacteristic display of anger, oh, and of strength, she slammed the door. Mother, you need to fix this, said the prince, who was equally upset. You've offended my friend, and perhaps sabotaged any chances of her becoming my wife. All right, all right, she said. I will go and talk with her, but I'd like for you and your father to come, too. We'll set this straight, and together we will tell her why she's really here while we're at it. The threesome went to the princess's door. Queen Maria knocked gently and asked if she could come in. Princess Charisse told them to enter. Imagine, if you will, the surprise on the trio's faces when they saw a tiny lamb and a squirrel curled up together on the princess's bed. They were nestled in blankets, and the squirrel had on his leg a tiny bit of fabric for a bandage, while the lamb was snuffling in the woolen covers looking for some milk. On the floor was an eiderdown quilt and a pillow. What is all this? asked the king with genuine curiosity. I apologize for the mess, but you see, last night my head was too busy, so I crept out the window to walk the grounds. There I found this lamb asleep, alone in a field, no mother in sight, so I carried him home. And upon my return, right outside my window was this poor squirrel who seems to have been injured. So they were here with you all night? asked the queen. Yes, I did not sleep on the bed at all. I laid on the floor so that these two could have the best rest. Obviously, their comfort matters more than mine, pee or not. And oh, could I please have some milk? It, yes, yes, in a moment, said the queen, not quite believing what she was seeing. Princess Charisse, said Prince Robert, you have the kindest heart of anyone I have ever met. You sacrificed your comfort for two animals in need, and that tells me more about you than any pea or bean or crystal ball possibly could. Right, mother? The queen nodded in agreement. And then the king spoke up. My dear girl, my wife should never have tested you, but here you have proven once and for all just what you are made of. And now, since we are being honest, I should like to tell you that we are hoping that you will stay not just as someone to help us run the castle, but to eventually rule the kingdom with our son as his queen. Would you consider it? asked Prince Robert, hopefully. I mean, would you marry me? Hmm. Since we are being honest, she said, 
It is for that very reason that I could not sleep last night and took a walk, finding these friends. You see, Prince Robert, I found myself falling in love with you, and I didn't know if I should stay in your parents' employ, if there was to be such a complication. Oh, my dear girl, cried the queen, this is the most wonderful complication ever. With that, Prince Robert and Princess Cherise embraced. And in good time, there was a wedding that united not just two kingdoms and royal families, but a couple in love who had the common foundation of compassion and kindness, the best sort of union, don't you think? And they lived happily ever after, often sleeping in one big bed shared at various times with children and animals, laughter and love, the best kind of bed, I'd say. And with that, I wish you a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>